Uh, we're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We're just going to read one verse, Exodus 20, verse 12. And then if you'll keep your finger in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, okay? So two places there, Exodus 12 and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You'll notice that uh, we're still in our series on the Ten Commandments. My initial plan to do two sermons, one kind of uh, lumping the, the, the first four commandments in our relationship to God and the other dealing with our relationship to one another, and the wheels really fell off of that. And uh, so now we are just basically taking them as they come. Uh, we skipped ahead last week to you shall not murder, really for the purpose of reinforcing this reality that you cannot be saved by the Ten Commandments that I'm going to reinforce again in just a second. While you're turning there, uh, let me say a couple things. In your, in your schedule for uh, reading through God's story, you may notice that it ends on Friday, okay? Uh, that's our fault. We should have got the new one to you. We didn't. We'll get that to you next week. And so Saturday, you're not going to know what to read. And uh, Saturday, we are switching to incarnation. So we're in prophets right now. So if you read this morning, it's 1 Kings 18, the story of Elijah and Mount Carmel. Well, after prophets comes in God's story, incarnation. And so Saturday will be Luke 1, okay? So if you're going through that reading plan, you might just jot that down, put it in your phone. Saturday will be Luke chapter 1, beginning our incarnation. Sunday is Luke chapter 2, if you like to read before you come to church. And so Luke 1 and 2 will be Saturday and Sunday. That will be our reading schedule. And then we'll have a new, a new list for you that completes God's story through the rest of our small group semester next week in the bulletin, okay? Uh, we'll try to put that on social media just in case you, you, can't, you forget or uh, weren't here or whatever. Anyway, all right, Exodus chapter 20. I'm gonna begin reading verse 12 and then we'll quickly jump to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter six, all right? So Exodus 20, 12 says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then in Ephesians six in the New Testament, Paul reiterates that command with commentary and says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for opportunity to open the word. Thank you for opportunity to sing your praises, uh, to sing of your sufficiency, to sing of your glory. God, to sing that you are everything that we need. You're the greatest treasure, Father, and we worship you this morning. Father, we ask that, you would open our minds to the word. We ask God that you would open our, our hearts to believe and to trust you and to act in obedience. Father, we ask that you would enable and empower us by your spirit to proclaim the glorious deeds of the Lord to the next generation. Father, speak to us today. Open our hearts. God, if there's sin, God, please convict us quickly that we might confess and repent that we might have fellowship with you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we've been talking the last two weeks. We spent a good portion of the sermon just talking about how you cannot be saved by doing good deeds. You cannot be saved by obeying the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not there for you to read through and check, 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 and this is how I'm gonna get to heaven. You can't do that. You cannot be saved that way. The Bible is very clear that no one, no flesh, no human being will be saved by the law, by righteousness according to the law. The commandments are there to convict us of our, of our need for a Savior. They're there to, as an expression of the holiness of God. They're 
They're there to teach us the character of God, but we cannot be saved by them. The only way that you can be in a right relationship with God is by seeing the glory of his son Jesus come to earth in human flesh, living righteousness out in his life, and then dying a death on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We can be joined to that by faith and repentance, by repenting of our sins, putting our faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, we are joined to Jesus, joined to his righteousness, joined to his death as as payment for our sins, and we are right with God. That is the only way in which a man, a woman, a student, anyone can be right with God. Now, once you are joined to Jesus, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Holy Spirit is giving you a new heart. He's giving you a new will, a new wanter, Right? You used to want these things, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is producing a new wanter in you. Okay, And part of that is a, a desire to be obedient to the commands of God, to, to be holy like God is holy. Okay? And it's in that context that we are looking at the Ten Commandments in this series. And so, verse 12, God says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, I want you to see there that this is not some disconnected commandment from what is happening in the life of Israel, okay? If, you, if you've been with us through our series, Moses has been called by God to go to Egypt, you know, let my people go. There's 10 plagues. Pharaoh finally lets them go. God brings them through the Red Sea, destroys the Egyptian army. Now they're at Mount Sinai receiving the law, and they're headed toward the, t- the, the promised land, okay? So that God, God, God is taking them to the promised land. And, and so when you read in verse 12, honor your father and mother that your, your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, it is specifically that context, okay? He's talking about the promised land. This is the land that, that God promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, right? When God says, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a son and that son's gonna become a nation and that nation's gonna have a land. And I'm going to put you there. And then through that land and through that nation, there's going to come one who's going to bless every family on the face of the earth. That's Jesus. Okay? So so here Israel is in this this trajectory of, of becoming a nation and having a land and producing the Messiah who would save the world. And it's in that context that God says, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother so that things will go well with you in the land. Okay, it's, it's the reason that Israel is passing down the, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his commandments and, and what he has done and his promises. They're passing that to the next generation. This is why Psalm 78 is such a significant text in our children's ministry. If you've ever come to any of our team kid trainings, any children's training, we always come back to Psalm, Psalm 78, 4. It says, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. Like, like there's always this, this weight on God's people, okay? Particularly in the Old Testament. This, this is a way to almost think about your Old Testament. That every generation is having to pass on the, this knowledge of God and this covenant and these promises to the next generation. Why? That they may live long in the land. So, so it's, it, it's sort of this framework. Israelite parents are to communicate the truths of God, the promise of God, the commands of God, the character of God. And, and, and Israelite children are to give great weight to their parents' instruction. That's what the word honor means. The word honor means to give weight to something, to give influence, to give um, heaviness 
okay? So, so in other words, when, when many of you hear information, like you may hear information from one news network and you completely blow it off. You're like, ah, oh, those people always lie. You know, I'm not listening to that at all. And then, and then you hear information from another, another network and you're like, oh, I'm gonna believe that. Why? You're honoring one and not honoring the other. I was, I was thinking about how honor plays itself out to give weight to something, to give heaviness, to give importance to something. Uh, when my grandfather was still alive, uh, we would always have uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas at my mom and dad's house. And so we would all be there and cousins would be coming in and your cousins would come in the door and we'd all be playing pitch or dominoes or something. We'd be like, hey, hey, come on in, hey, hi. You know, we just keep our seat. When my, my grandma and grandpa came in and, and for the last years, my grandpa was in a walker, you know, and so we'd hear the door open and, and we'd see him coming in and a lot of times we'd signal each other and my dad would usually be helping him in. And, and my brothers and I, I just noticed that this almost always happened. We would stand. We would stand. It was, just, it was almost like an automatic thing. We, we would stand. A lot of times we'd walk over and, and just greet them. And there wasn't a lot you could do to help, but you'd walk over and greet them. And, and, and it was just like an automatic thing. What, what are you doing? You're giving weight to something, someone. You're giving importance. Okay, that, that's what the word honor means. And, and, and the context of the Ten Commandments is so that. So give weight, give honor. Give importance to your, your parents' instruction so that your days will be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. If you do not honor your parents' instruction, if you do not receive what is being passed down to you, you, you won't live long in the land. Actually, if you follow your theme of the Old Testament, it blows apart, doesn't it? There's a thing called the exile. Have you ever heard of that? It's when the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel are both destroyed and they take them off into exile. God brings them back. But there's 70 years where they're chastened by God. But even before that, uh, this is a fascinating passage. So, so the Israelites reach the promised land in, in the book of Joshua, okay? That's, that's coming up. They reach the promised land in the book of Joshua. They, they inherit the land. They get in the land. And, and one generation passes, okay? So, so the generation that saw the walls of Jericho fall down, that, those people pass off the scene. They die, and their children are raised up as adults, and then they take over things, right? And here's what it says. This is Judges 2. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went back after other gods, and among the gods of the peoples were, who, who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Astra, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, against Israel, and he gave them up to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies whenever they marched out of the, out of the hand out the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and, and they were in terrible distress. One generation, one generation does not honor mom and dad. They don't give great importance to, the, to communication or I guess we don't know, or one generation of parents does not communicate who God is and his promises to the next generation and already things are falling apart in the land. Okay, so, so as you look at your Old Testament, this commandment is incredibly significant in the life of the Old Testament. Parents, communicate spiritual truths to your children. Children, give great weight and importance to those truths or you will not live long in the land. Now, when we open up our New Testament, however, we see that Paul, Paul reinforces this command. 
for the church, for Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church, okay? He takes the same truths and applies them to the church and, and, and actually gives a little commentary to it, okay? So, so some of the same things are still true. Parents, you are still God's representatives. You have stewardship over your children. In other words, your, your little baby that has been born to you does not have the capacity, does not, does not able to fully understand and process what a relationship with God means, okay? But you are in the place of God in some ways to them. Okay? They are learning to trust authority. They are learning to deny themselves and submit their will. They are learning to depend and follow their God-given head. It's really training. What's happening in our nursery? What's happening with our, our, our children with little kids? They're in training for a future relationship with God. And, and here's what the Bible would say. If you don't learn to honor your mother and father, it, it is probably going to be a struggle for you to honor anybody else in your life. Whenever you see a child that's in open defiance against their parents, maybe you see a first grade or second grade, third grade, and they are just in open defiance. Is that the child you're like, man, I hope I get to coach them on the soccer team? You know, man, I hope they're in my class, you know? Uh, probably not, right? Because it's seldom just that, right? There's a piece missing there. If you don't learn to honor authority, if you don't learn to, 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 to give weight, to, to your elders. And so Paul explains how this is supposed to work in his commentary on this, this command. I want you to focus in on verse four, okay? Uh, particularly the last part. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but listen to this, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, first of all, bring them up. Bring them up is, is, is a word in Greek that literally means to nourish, to feed, okay? Um, but, it, but it was broader than that. It's really to kind of kind of cultivate or nourish someone to adulthood, grow them up. You might say grow them up, okay? So grow them up, bring them up, nourish them up, okay? In the discipline and then the instruction of the Lord. Now, from a, from a broad standpoint, it's really clear. What are, you supposed to, what are you supposed to bring them up in? The discipline and instruction of the Lord, okay? So the instruction of the Lord, the character of the Lord, the glorious deeds of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord, and then you're supposed to add discipline and chastisement when the child is rebellious to those things, when the child is foolish, when the child is defiant to, to the commands, the truth, the gospel of the Lord. And the child, hear this out, kids. Kids, you are to give great weight to the person, the, the parents, the mom and the dad that God has put in your life. Give great weight to them. And then the promise, though, Paul, Paul reiterates for us. He says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I know we're not, none of us are going to Canaan, okay? We're not, we're not going to the literal promised land. That was Israel, okay? But we are, Hebrews tells us, we are going to a promised land. We are, we're going to the ultimate promised land from which Canaan is just a shadow. And then Paul adds that it may go well with you, that there be blessing and flourishing by honoring your parents and receiving the truth of the scriptures. You will avoid much sin and misery. Kids, can I just tell you that today? Kids, hear me out. By, 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 on, by giving great weight to your parents' instruction, you will avoid misery. Nobody likes misery. No, nobody likes harm. Nobody likes pain. And, and by giving great weight to your parents in that, you will avoid that, that misery in your lives. Paul says two things here. He says, but bring them up in the discipline. Okay, there's one, an instruction of the Lord. The word discipline means systematic training with correction for wrongdoing. Man, our heavenly father does this so well. 
He's going he's gonna to be our guide, by the way. He, he is who we imitate. But our Heavenly Father does this so well. You know what I love about, about being a Christian is in 1 John 3, it, it makes this really clear. God won't let you stay in sin. You have a Heavenly Father that he will not leave you in sin without confronting you. He will convict you. This is one of the ways you know you're a believer. When, when, when you sin, man, God is all over you. You have a heaviness. You have a, a, a hole in your gut. You have a conviction from the word of God. You have the chastening hand of God upon your life. Instruction, it's counsel, it's wisdom, it's warning. Someone of wrong courses of action, the right course of action. My, my, my friends, parents, peers, this is our first and greatest responsibility of discipleship, okay? God wants you to make disciples of all nations. He wants us to go into the neighborhoods. He wants us to go into our state and into our United States and into the ends of the earth. He wants us to go to India. He wants us to go to Taiwan and to Thailand and to Madagascar and to all across the world. But our first and paramount responsibility of discipleship is to our children. And it is not it is not relegated to only this hour, okay? The Bible says your children should hear from your mouth the glorious deeds of the Lord. They should hear from your mouth the commands of God, the gospel of Christ, the beauty of our Savior. They should hear that from you at soccer, at the dinner table, at the football game, at the ranch, at the neighbors, mowing the lawn, watching television, and in the minivan, okay? Deuteronomy 6 is our text for this. Uh, it's a very famous text in, in, in Israelite culture. In the Old Testament, and by the way, the verses preceding what I'm about to read, guess what they talk about? You're going to go in the land, and if, if, if this doesn't happen, you're not going to go well there. The, the verses after what I'm about to read, guess what they talk about? You're going to go in the land, and, and, and if you don't do this, it's not going to go well for you, okay? And boxed in the middle, we have this. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen, listen, verse seven. Teach them diligently, diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If I could sum up those commands in one word, it would be this saturation, saturation. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you talk about the glory seeds of the Lord. You talk about the commands of God. You talk about the beauty of the gospel. When you lie down, when you rise up in the morning, at night, when you're on the way, when you're at home, it should be wrapped around your hand. It should be between your eyes. It should be on your doorposts, okay? Saturation, teach them, talk about them, House to house, walking on the way, lying down, rising up, saturation. Listen, listen to, to a father doing this, okay? So the whole book of Proverbs is, is really a picture of this happening, okay? This is a father who's saying, here's, here's the truths of God, okay? And, and listen to Proverbs 7, verses 1 through 3. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, now, the, the thing I want you to grab from that passage is confidence, okay? Do you hear the authority and the confidence that, that this father speaks to his children? He says, do what I say and live. 
live. All right, now, I'm, I'm not saying we do this in all areas of life. Honestly, when my adult children ask me about uh, economics, you know, uh, money, uh, mortgages, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, here's what your mom and I did. Uh, here's what some of my friends are doing. But really, let me, here's a guy you ought to talk to, okay? You know, I, I mean, even, even things that I think I know some things about, like my, my kids have been coached in all kinds of sports. And, and I used to tell them, well, you know, this way I learned it, but you do what your coach, our neighbor told me the other day, I throw a softball wrong. I, I did not realize that. I've been throwing a softball and I'm throwing it wrong. You know, I, I guess evidently I'm like doing this and you're supposed to like tuck this other arm, you know? So I've been trying to do that at 40 now. And I don't know. It feels really unnatural, but she's the one that played college ball. So I, I don't know. But anyway, so I told Haven, I'm like, well, that's not the way I'd do it, but you know, you better do what she says, right? But listen, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the scriptures, parents, you need to get yourself in a position where you can look your children in the eye and say, do this and live. To not do this is death. Believe this and live. This is life and death. What I'm telling you is for your life. What I'm telling you is for your eternity. What I'm telling you is for your eternal joy. Keep my commands and live, okay? This is not like changing an oil filter, baking bread, cleaning a shotgun, setting a trap line. Those things are incredibly important to pass on to your children so that they, they might have a relationship with you and you have culture and tradition. That's all important. But we're, we're, not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about these vital spiritual truths without which your son or your daughter will perish in an eternity in hell. And so bring them up. Not passive, by the way. I, I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is do nothing. Um, it's a big danger, isn't it? Like there, there's times where I, I, there's times in life I'm not sure what to do and so I don't do anything. You know, I just kind of wait to see if somebody else will do it or if I'll get a little clarity on it, but I just, I just don't do anything. You cannot afford to not do anything in this realm. Okay, you've got to do something. You got to do something. First Samuel chapter three tells the story of the first prophet of Israel, Samuel. And Samuel's mistake with his boys was he did not say anything. They are, are defiling the Lord. They are abusing the temple. And in verse 13, God speaks to Samuel. He says, I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He just, he just didn't do anything. King David, this is one of the mysteries of the Bible. Here is a guy who is a leader of men. I mean, this guy is respected by men. This guy is respected by armies. This guy is a guy that commands the mighty men of Israel. And, and it seems like with Solomon, evidently there, there were some great things that happened, but it seems like with all, all of the other of his children, uh, it didn't go well. And, and maybe the big lesson here is, guys, stick with one wife, okay? If, if one of you came here this morning, you're thinking about going for two or three. Um, if it's three, come talk to me after the service. If it's two, just don't do it, Okay. Uh, and maybe that's what we learned from David here, but li listen, listen to his disaster here with Adonijah. First Kings chapter one, verse five says, and Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Dad never confronted him. His dad, his dad never said, hey, what, what are you doing? hey. That never happened. 
He just didn't do anything. He was passive. The other big danger that Paul makes us aware of, really thankful for Paul's commentary here in Ephesians 6. In verse 4, he says, here's the other big danger. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To provoke your child to anger. John MacArthur says, he defines it as a repeated ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over in outward hostility. John Piper says, hey, your children are probably going to be angry with you at some time. Just make sure it's not for a good reason. Um, Those give a little clarity to it. How, how How do parents... Provoke, the word provoke means to stir up. So it's like you, you stir up anger, emotion in somebody. How, how do parents provoke their children to anger, okay? Here's a generic rule. Here's a generic rule. Don't sin against your kids. Uh, just, just don't sin against them, okay? I, I, I think that's, that's the big rule here. Don't lie to your children. Don't lash out at them in anger. Don't say words in anger that tear them down. Don't, don't take a posture of selfish pride toward them. Don't slander them. Don't be rude. First Corinthians 13 says, love is not rude. So like, like just simply take the commands of the New Testament and apply them to your family. I, for some reason, that, that, that's harder than it would seem, right? You would think that our family would get the best, right? You would, you would think if we're, we're rude, it'd be to somebody you know, we don't hardly know, somebody in your small group, you know? But oftentimes, our, our family gets the worst. And, and so don't sin against your family. This could be outright abuse. It could be physical. It could be verbal. It could be favoritism, and we see some disasters in the scripture with favoritism. We, we see this with Joseph and his family, uh, his dad. We see this with uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Never goes well, always produces anger. Uh, rules without relationship. You know, every, everybody kind of falls on a spectrum, I believe. Um, some people are, are more law-oriented. Some people are more grace-oriented. And, and, and the, the real struggle is, is not with the folks that are kind of in the middle. The real struggle is, is with the folks that are on the edges of those, right? And if, if, you're, if you're a person that's really law, you know, you're rules, 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 man, you gotta, you're going to have to work really hard at relationship or, or that's going to backfire. You're, you're going to have the same effect that the Pharisees had on the people of Israel. It could be being overbearing. It could be relentless nagging. It could be never able to please. Nothing is ever good enough. It could be a complete lack of encouragement and affirmation for your children. Look, one of the ways that parents that we, 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 we've got to grab onto to get this right is simply looking at the scriptures. It's simply looking at the scriptures. We, we've got to do this right according to the scriptures. Okay, so... So what is our model? What was our model? Well, it's, it's God the Father. It's how God the Father treats us. It's Jesus our Savior. It's how he treats us. It's, it's, it's the example of the New Testament church. Let me, let, me give you, let me give you, I think this is a cool illustration, okay? So if you've ever read the book of Corinthians, you know that that church was a train wreck, right? Like, like 1 Corinthians, if you just take what's in there, you got a guy in the church who's living with his stepmother in a sexual relationship, handing out bulletins on Sunday morning, okay? You, you got a, a two people, you know, a guy teaching Sunday school maybe, and, and another guy who's leading a small group, and they're, they're going to court Monday. You know, they're, they're going to be against each other Monday, suing each other over a business deal. You know, and Paul walks into the deal, and he's like, man, this is a wreck. This is, this is terrible. He's got, they got chaos in the worship service. They've got... They've got party spirits, little groups, factions breaking all over. How would you start the letter to the Corinthians? I don't know about you guys, but have you ever had a little lead time when you knew your kids were out of line? Like a little lead time to 
kind of come in there like Braveheart. You know what I'm saying? None of you have ever done that. Have you? I've done that. Like you just make a statement, you know? Kind of come in. Ha! I've surprised them before. You ever done that? Listen at the door and they're misbehaving, mistreating each other. Then you come in, but you don't come in like, hey, you know? You come in like, I heard that! Right? Is that how you'd start 1 Corinthians? That's probably the way I would start it, but listen, listen. Train wreck of a church. Listen, here's Paul. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God given you in Christ Jesus in every way you are enriched. Man, that, that is a different approach. What if you were the father of the prodigal son? Your boy comes in and says, Dad, I cannot stand to be here any longer. You're oppressive. This is, you're zapping all the joy out of my life. And not only that, but you're healthy. You will not die if I could just get my inheritance. Please, just give me my money so I can go. He gets his money and he goes and he squanders it and loose living and prostitutes. And then there's a famine in the land and he's eating pig food and comes to his senses. My dad's servants live 10 times better than I do, 100 times better than I do. I'm going to go back. I'm going to apologize, get on my knees. I'm going to beg my dad to put me as a, in, as a farmhand in the barn. That's better than the way I'm living. Comes back. Okay, now, how, how would you? Okay, this dude has messed up, rebelled. How, how would you greet him? Here he comes. He sees him from afar, runs to him, wraps his arms around him, Kill the fatted calf, having a party tonight. Invite everybody. Invite everybody. I'm not embarrassed. Invite everybody. Get the best robe. Get the best ring. Put sandals on his feet. My son's come home. Choose the scriptures. Let's be like that. Provoking uh, your child to anger could be, uh, could be simply not knowing your child. Um could be treating them uh, not according to their bent. For our wedding, Em and I uh, got a book uh, from Chuck Swindoll. It's called uh, Strong Family, I think. I was looking at it the other day. A good friend of ours, Matt Krebs, gave it to us for our wedding. And, and, and I, I still remember one portion of it in there. And he takes Proverbs 22, 6, says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he's, he'll, he'll not depart from it. And, and he, he makes a pretty good case from Proverbs 30 and the way that the, the, way the, the phrase and the way he should go. He takes the, the Proverbs 30 passage where it talks about the way of a snake on a rock and the way of an eagle in the sky. And the way, anyway, he, he makes a case that what, what the writer of Proverbs is saying is they're training up a child in his way, like, like according to his bent is basically the case he makes. I'll, I'll let you decide if that's the way you want to take the verse or not. But here, here's what is very clear to me is that kids have a different bent. People are, are wired in drastically, creatively different ways. And, and the Bible says we should disciple according to that, okay? So, so we should consider that. I, I know in my, my six children, and I don't know how this happened, I'm honestly thinking that names really do mean something because our H's and our A's are very different, okay? Uh, our H's, H's are very warlike. 
Uh, our A's are, are much, more, um, much more open, much more uh, friendship-oriented. I hope they're not listening to this on the, the lines. Anyway, I'll, I, they're different. Um, so know their difference and parent them accordingly, okay? Provoke a child to anger. It could be indifference. Um, Absalom, great example of this in, in the Old Testament, uh, sins against his father, sins against his brother, his, his sister. David brings him back, won't see him for months. Just won't talk to him. It's indifference. Could be a smothering, never allowing them to make age-appropriate decisions, never allowing them any independence, never, never learning to help them grow and trust them. My mom and dad are here and uh, came up for Haven's baptism here in just a minute. And uh, man, I'm telling you, they did this right. Um, they, they, they helped three sons step into manhood. Um, I always tell my dad he had, a, he had an advantage with the farm, okay? Because uh, I do think that helps. But, but really in, enabled us to launch, like to take on manhood, to, to believe we could do things. Uh, I desperately want to give that to my kids. Some people go the opposite. They want to hold them down and control them forever. I think you can provoke your children to anger that way. Inconsistency. A lot of parents with little kids. It, happen, it happens with big kids, but little kids, it's really dangerous, right? Because on Monday, it's like, hey, do not climb on the counter to get a cookie. You understand that? Get off the counter. You don't climb on that counter, right? Tuesday. Kids climbing on the counter, looking over, and you're just like, I don't care, whatever, you know. Wednesday, they're on there again, oh, I don't care. Thursday, you wake up a little like Braveheart. They get on the counter, you're over there, get off the counter, I told you how many times I tell you. You're like, man, Tuesday and Wednesday was fine, you know. Don't, don't be inconsistent. Asher's like, hey, that happened to me. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying, but I can hear him talking. Humiliation. Don't humiliate your kids. Okay, all of these things, why, why does Paul put this in here? Why does he say in verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Why is that but? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because this is a hindrance. You see that? Like it, it, if you're stirring your children to anger, it's gonna be harder for them to receive, to honor, to, to embrace the glorious truths of the gospel and God's commands and his righteousness that you are communicating to them. It's a hindrance. We've got to be like Jesus, never soft on sin. Show me a place in the Bible, Jesus soft on sin, he's not. Always, always convinced everybody around him of his love for them. I guess two things you can say about Jesus. I'm convinced he's loved me. He's, he ne- he's, never, he's never soft on sin. Man, we, we need to hit that balance. Real quickly, adults, adults. Um, how does this apply to us? Honor your father and mother. It still does apply, just in a different way. So if we look through the narrative in Genesis, we, we come to Genesis 2, 24 that says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, there, there is, there is, a, there is a, a new family that is formed. There is a leaving and a cleaving that should happen there, and, and therefore a man starts his own family. And so he's, he's not obligated, he's not, he's not bound by the scriptures to obey mother and father as, as, he, as he has his own family, as he starts his own life, but he still is, she still is 
obligated to honor mother and father in appropriate ways. Find ways to honor your father and mother. Find ways as adults to show value to the contribution they have made to your life. There's lots of different ways that, that, that you can do that. Pa- parents love, love to hear when you succeed and that they had a part in that, that, that their contribution in your life was valuable. Find ways to say that. And one of the verses that I've written to my adult children that are gone now over and over again is 3 John 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. Now, some of you adults, um, you are going to struggle with this because you did not have great parents, okay? Uh, let me just say, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that maybe, maybe you had a mom or a dad that was an addict. Maybe you had a mom or a dad that had mental illness. Maybe you had a mom or a dad that was completely absent. Maybe you had, I, I don't know, maybe you just had maybe a dad that was angry and alcohol. I, I don't know. But maybe you just had a bad experience. There were bad things that happened, and, and I'm sorry for that. And, and, and I want to encourage you to find ways to honor. Find ways to honor. How do you do that? You need to make a shift as, as an adult. You need to make a shift in where you find your identity and where you find your security, okay? Uh, let me tell you a story about Avery, and she gave me permission to share this story. But about uh, maybe six months, a year ago, uh, she and I were on the couch, and we were talking, and she said, Dad, I just feel like you're disappointed in me. Uh, I feel like I can't ever do anything right. I feel like everybody's disappointed with me. I feel like, you know, church is about... And, and, and first of all, uh, you know, I just stopped and said, hey, that is completely not true. And it's not. I mean, I, I, I think if you're my friend and you've heard me talk about Avery, you've heard me, I, I'm super proud of Avery. Like, like she's a disciple maker, she's in disciple making groups. Um, she, she's cultivating Christ-centered friendships with adult women. I mean, she's she like, she's a hundred times the teenager that I was when I was 17. You want to confirm that with my mom and dad? They would tell you that. Um, Super proud of her, okay? Um, evidently, and this is what my family has told me, uh, so dads, watch this. Evidently, I make a face. I don't say anything, but evidently, I make a face that, that shows disapproval. And I ask him what they look, they said it looks like, and I don't know, Avery can show you, but it's something like a, you know, I, I don't even know, I, I don't think I'm doing it, uh, but evidently, like, they see it all the time that, I, you know, I have this face that just says, dis, you know, I disapprove, you know? Um, so, so Avery and I talked that through, and, 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 you know, like, I love you, I approve of you, I affirm, I'm going to do better about encouraging you, and I think I have, okay? But ultimately, I think this was the best thing I told her. I said, honey, you're 17, and, and you, you need to make a shift really quick in your life. Like, as, you, as you're getting ready to leave our house, you're getting ready to go off to college, you're getting ready to, you know, start your own family, and, and, and you need to make a shift, and actually, you can make this shift even earlier in life, but you need to make a shift, and you, you begin to find your identity in how your heavenly Father feels about you. You need to begin to find your identity in the gospel. You need to begin to find your identity in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know what blows me away is that on my worst day, I don't have any less of Jesus' righteousness, and on my best day, I have no more of it. I have it every day in the gospel. I am joined to the King of kings, the resurrected one. My Father in heaven is pleased with me because of Jesus, and that never changes. 
And, and, and as adults, we need to grow into that. And, and here's what's going to happen when you make that shift. When you make that shift, all of a sudden, the deficiencies of your past begin to minimize. It's beautiful. I've seen it happen in people. That the more that they grab on to this riches of, of Christ and their heavenly father and the perfection of his sovereignty and his plan, all of a sudden, the things that were, were deep and marked them begin to be less and less. They begin to be healed. And it really enables you to begin to give genuine honor to your parents for whatever contribution they had in your life, even if it was minimal, honoring them almost in the shadow of this gloriously blazing, magnificent heavenly father. Tim Keller tells the story of Jonathan Edwards in his deathbed. If you don't know Jonathan Edwards, maybe the greatest theologian to ever come out of America, uh, had a bunch of kids. His kids literally changed our country. If you follow his line, I mean, they were stellar family. He's dying. He, the only person with him is his daughter, Lucy. All the other siblings are away. His wife is away. He's dying. He knows he won't make it through the night. He calls Lucy to him. He says, Lucy, I know that I'm not, I'm not gonna last through the night. And he says this. He says, I want you to tell your other brothers and sisters it is about time they look to a father who does not die. Isn't that beautiful? That's what you need to do. And I think as you do that, you will find you can honor your parents in significant ways. I, I, know, I know, again, some of you didn't have wise parents. I have a good friend. I have a good friend who really, he, he was wiser than his dad in spiritual things, in business, and relationships, and his understanding of the world, probably by the time he was a sixth or seventh grader. And yet, I saw him honor his dad in significant ways really because you got a heavenly father. It's right. Paul says that, doesn't he? He's in verse one, children, obey your parents and the Lord. This is right. Like some of this stuff is just right for you. Good for your soul. Let's ask God to help us, shall we? Father, we, uh, we come to you, Lord, just um, with this heaviness of wanting to be good parents, Father. God, for those in this room who have children, whatever the age they are, God, we desperately plead with you for help that we might communicate your glorious deeds to the next generation, to our children and to our grandchildren. God, enable us to talk of these things when we're on the road and when we're in our house and when we lie down, when we rise up. Father, give us a a power to saturate the next generation with the glorious deeds. And God, enable us not to provoke anger in our, in our children, but to, to build relationships that are conducive to passing on the greatest truths in all the world. And Father, I pray that you would just move in close this morning to, to those who maybe had parents that hurt them, maybe had parents who weren't there. God, I pray that you'd move in close to them this morning, and that you would, you would show them that you are more than enough. Father, that they would not feel a lack, but they would feel a fullness in Christ. Father, please do that this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.